0: Greetings, in Jesus' name, this morning. I thought that was a very, very blessed song, Dave. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. So I'm thinking, as I'm looking across the congregation here, I'm looking at soldiers Maybe you didn't come here feeling like a soldier. You didn't consider yourself one. And it's only a metaphor. It is a metaphor. Okay, it is. But it's still a proper metaphor. A soldier. It's a fight. It's a battle. There are foes. We have a captain. There's a war. And there's a victory to be won. And there are... There are what are battles to be lost? Let's say it that way. It's it's real. It's it's not fake. It's real. So, yeah, it's a blessing to sing that song. Think about it. Since we didn't have a time of prayer at this point, why don't we stand for a word of prayer? Just stand here. Lord, we are grateful that you are our captain. You uh, went the way before. You have shown us the way to go to the cross. You have followed the way that the Father laid out for you. And you have been the perfect captain. And then you call us to follow. Lord, we just... Thank you. Thank you for your what you have done and the example. And then, Lord, we we do pray for us, ourselves, each one of us, Lord, as we now take up our cross and follow you. Lord, that you would give us a pure heart, give us clear vision, that you would give us resolve and purpose, And an intention, Lord, uh, intentional and systematic and generous, Lord. That is true. In following you in all of life and it spills out even in our finances. So Lord, we pray you be with each of us this morning. Be, I pray, with the preaching of the word and give us hearts to hear. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. May be seated. the uh, message this morning um, i had a little bit of difficulty in in really getting a defined message so it's it's maybe a little more scattered than normal and yet i have some things i like to share so we'll do that and so i gave it the um the title beliefs and tensions beliefs and tensions and for um Some opening verses will turn to Ephesians chapter 5. The verses I want to speak just as an introductionary verses would be uh, verses 14 to 17, or 15 to 17 rather, but it's really breaking in. So I thought I'd just go over this passage very quickly. And that applies here. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. So, followers of God as children. Children follow their parents. Children follow. But what's the first thing that you follow God in? Well, we have the example, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for an offering. So we are to be followers of God as dear children, and that main part of that is walking in love. And then what follows is what we should not walk in, the uh, the uncleanness, the The filthiness, the impurity in all its forms, whether it's desires or whether it's actions or whether it's words, it's all in here, don't, including covetousness and greed, don't be deceived and don't closely associate with people who do those things. It talks about how you used to do them, but now you don't anymore. The Spirit, in verse 9, the Spirit doesn't lead you that way. Instead of doing that, put the light on them and expose them and reprove them. And then we come down to verse 15, so we are walking, we're following the Lord, we're not following the situation that we find ourselves around us, and we don't have fellowship with them, and we expose them, we don't even talk about them, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, circumspectly, this Is a directive. Now, I have heard it explained already when, uh, when you see a bunny, a rabbit, children, you ever seen a rabbit in the middle of a field? I don't know if you ever seen a rabbit, but when you have, or a bird, a bird uh, that lands in the lawn, they're looking around. They might be, they might be eating. A rabbit might be nibbling some grass, but they're always looking. They're always circumspect. They're always aware. Because, uh, basically, walk circumspectly, don't walk carelessly and think, be aware, and not as fools, but as wise. Now, in this context, fools are careless. Fools are not careful. Wise people are careful. They search things out. They evaluate and they assess the way and then make decisions using, can I say, using their head and not their emotions. And redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, a rapid in that field knows that the days are evil because if it doesn't, its days are short. <laughs> it's just one or the other. You, just, you, have, you, don't, you can't have it both ways, not a rapid. And, and for us, we're called to properly use the time because we are in evil days. And then we have this concluding verse. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Basically, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants us to do in our day and age. So this morning, I plan to do a little bit of analysis of a few different beliefs or ways of approaching things. It will have a lot to do on what we believe. If we are careless in what we believe, we must not be careless in what we believe because what we believe has results. You know, they put that false dichotomy of, is it faith or is it works? Faith being believed. Faith always have works. I don't care what you believe, you will always have works. On March 26th, 1997, the San Diego County Sheriff Department got a phone call, and they went to answer that call to at a house and they discovered the bodies of 39 people 21 women and 18 men in a house in a San Diego suburb these people had participated to participated in a coordinated suicide they were members of the heaven's gate religious cult that they, whose leader preached them that if they would, they would uh, practice suicide, preached that suicide would allow them to leave their bodily containers and enter into some alien spacecraft that was behind a comet that he could see in the sky at the time. The Hale Bop Comet. The Hale Bopp comet was taking its 4,000-year orbit, and it was coming close to the Earth. And Applegate, the leader, and 38 of his followers drank a lethal mixture, a lethal mixture, and then lay down to die, believing that they will now go into that spaceship that's behind this comet. And they pass into some kind of higher existence. Now that's an extreme example of that what one believes has an effect on one's life. But the fact is we all do believe. We all are believers in something. I trained a young man recently who is a believer. He believed among many other things that God is in everything. Basically he believed in pantheism. He had Mennonite upbringing. He believed he was a vegan because he believed it was healthier. He believed that everyone should search for and discover their own truth. And it didn't matter if your belief contradicted your belief because there was no there are many truths. And contradiction doesn't really matter because there wasn't any real truth. So we're going to talk a little bit about beliefs this morning. Uh, Acts 4, 4, we have this verse. How be it many of them which had heard the word believed, and the number of the men were about 5,000. And then 10 verses later, in Acts well, no next chapter in Acts 5, and believers were added more, more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. Now, believers here is a very specific context. It, it simply means they believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. The word was preached to them, and they. It was preached that Jesus had come, and he died, and he rose again, and they believed that if they believed in this Messiah, their sins would be forgiven, they would receive the Holy Spirit, their hearts would be washed, and they would become part of a new body, the kingdom of God. They believed in this salvation, and I would dare say they experienced it as well. Now, there are other believers, too, and I want you to turn to this scripture, Acts 23. In Acts 23, starting at verse 6, we have some believers here. What did I say? Acts 23, verses 6 to 8. I'm not sure what I said there. Acts chapter 23, verses 6 to 8. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead I am called in question. And when he had said so, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And that last verse, the Pharisees say there's no resurrection or angels or spirit, but the Pharisees believe in all of those. So here we have the Pharisees. They are believers in the spirit world. And the Sadducees were believers too. They believe that if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. They may have believed what Carl Sagan believed in that that very infamous, in our perspective, quote, where he said, the cosmos, that's the universe, the cosmos is all that is or was or ever will be. So, He also said this, Carl Sagan did. Now, I want you, I'm going to read this quote, and I want you to pick out what is true in this quote and what is his belief system. Well, mostly a belief system. There's one part in it that is not a belief system, but simply true. So uh, maybe you'll be ready to answer. I'm going to read this, and I want you to think. So this is what he said. Who are we? We find that we live on an insignificant planet of a humdrum star lost in a galaxy tucked away in some forgotten corner of the universe in which there are far more galaxies than people. What statement is true there? Anyone? Is any of it true? Yeah. That's true. Everything else was a statement of his belief system. Because it's not, we would not, well, whether it's true or not, it's a belief system. But how can you know that we are, uh, that we are a um, insignificant planet of a humdrum star lost in a galaxy, tucked away in some forgotten corner of the universe? That, none of that is true. It's a belief system. But he is a believer. Well, he was a believer. Well, maybe he is a believer now. He he died. I suppose he is a believer now. But he was not a believer in the creator God. So we are all believers. And as the few examples show, it does matter what we believe. And then we put labels on different belief systems. You know, you have evolution, you have atheism, you have many different beliefs. Even under the Christian umbrella, such as legalism, lordship salvation, you have evangelicalism, you have easy beliefism. Many, many, many beliefs that we bump, well, that we hold or bump up against. There are multitudes of beliefs and many of them are incorrect. Such as the belief. Shall we sin that grace may abound? What's the answer to that belief? God forbid. What about this belief? Do you Jew think you are better than the Gentile? No, for we're all under sin. But those were Beliefs that people still hold today. So this morning, as a person I like to analyze things, I'm going to do some of that. I will contrast a few different beliefs and belief system. And though this message is maybe, I say largely intellectual, I hope not, but I'm going to try to bring it also down very, very down to where we live as well. Make it practical where we live in our home and our work in our community. We are to walk circumspectly in this world. We are to understand things. We are to, have, we are to be alert. And I'm going to use one example of that. Let's imagine that you hear somebody or some preacher or you're reading something and they talk about the creation story. Now, this is not a foolproof thing, but when you hear the word creation, story, most of the time that comes from someone who doesn't believe in a little creation, literal creation. They believe it's a story. We don't believe it's a story. We believe it's a fact. So when you hear that, you can be alerted because... Many times people will use the same words, and you may think they believe the same as you do, but they mean something else by those very words. Their gospel might be a social gospel rather than a spiritual gospel, for instance. So just because someone says the creation story doesn't mean they don't believe a little creation, but it is, it is a buzzword that you can be alert, alert to. So, this morning, I'm going to look at three broad definitions of Christianity. Conservative, liberal, and progressive. These are common ways of believing. They're ordinary ways that people naturally segregate in how they believe. Remember, we want to understand. We want to walk circumspectly. That's the goal here. Conservative Christian is a label that we use, and it's one that gets put onto us. A person or a group can be called conservative. It's a specific way of believing that's not just a Christian, It's not just a Christian belief or condition. It, it's a human condition. So what is meant by the word conservative when the word conservative is used? And a question, is it good to be conservative? The root of conservative is to conserve. Keep something in a safe or sound state. It's not very much different than preserve. The dictionary definition is the tendency to prefer an existing or traditional situation rather than change. So conservative, traditional, maintain and sustain what is existing, resist and oppose change. That is conservatism. Is that a good thing? Well, it depends, does it not? It depends what you're conserving. The most conservative people in my past defended the use of and the farming of tobacco. They were the most conservative. They would defend that because that was traditional. Did you know that in the mid-1800s, it was the conservatives that were pro-slavery? And against abolition of slavery. Did you know that the most conservative Muslims are the most oppressive and the most resistant to the gospel? The most conservative Muslims are. So, conservatism is good if you are conserving what you're conserving is the truth. What you're conserving is righteousness and holiness and love and a good structure or very many many things you can put in there. So I like to ask the question: was Jesus a conservative? What do you think? Was Jesus conservative? You don't have to answer. I'm just I want you to think, you don't have to answer it Just answer in your own mind. What do you think? When he came and he upset the status quo, he said, If any man will come after him, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. He said, whoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it, shall save it. When he said, forgive seventy times seven, was he preserving or conserving something? When he addressed the divorce question by resetting marriage back to the original pattern. When he forbade vengeance and revenge, was Jesus a conservative? Well, let's ask, was Paul a conservative when he brought the Gentile and the Jew societies together in one body? Was that conservative? What about when Peter, when he went to Cornelius' house? Did they have a tendency to prefer an existing or traditional situation rather than change? Clearly not. They were revolutionaries. They were not conservatives. So, What should we think about conservatism or conservative people then? (laughs) Since it's clear that Jesus and the early apostles didn't fit the description of conservatism, are conservatives today not followers of Jesus? And again, it depends. conservatism, like I said, it's a relative term when it comes to the substance of what being is conserved. David Persho states in his book, Will the Real Heretics Please Stand Up, that the early Christians after the apostles were ultra-conservative. The reason being is they saw Jesus as the cornerstone and the apostles' at the foundation of the church, and they saw any change as error. And so once the foundation was laid, and once that was set up and was established, then they didn't change it. And so the early Christians were conservatives, ultra-conservatives. They saw change as error. Now it's not so easy today, is it? Since we live in a time when the Scripture says in the last time perilous times will come. So we live in a we live in a day and age when um, large segments of culture and the church have forsaken the Scriptures large segments of the scripture, some have forsaken it more than others. But we live in a day and age when change and the pressure to change is in the very air we breathe. So scripture is being disobeyed and disbelieved, and new norms are promoted. Even the norm of not having anything normal is promoted. So in today's environment, We are clearly conservative. But that does not mean that we accept or conserve everything that we do or even believe. What we conserve must be in practice, be a practice that is consistent with the tenor of Scripture, the doctrines of Christ and the apostles. If it's not, then let's not be conservative. Let's not conserve, just use past historical ones, let's not conserve slavery or tobacco. I'm going to use a man as an example of this conservative. Maybe I would be better using him after the next one. But Aaron Shank was a language conference minister. He was born in 1915, I think he probably passed away up around 2000, I'm not sure. But he had a very illustrious life. He started his life in the Lancaster Conference, and he, he grew up in Virginia. And when he was in his young married life, he moved to um, the Lebanon area, somewhere up in Anville. Now, the south and the north are not the same culture. And up here he found a very traditional culture in the Lancaster conference, sort of dead, traditional uh yeah, there were issues I was going to actually look in the book what all the issues. I know the tobacco was one of them that they farmed, but there was a number of different issues that they did that they didn 't do down there and and he I forget if he was a minister when he came or he was ordained, but at some point he was in leadership up here, if it wasn't before. And he made some changes. He was actually considered a liberal because he changed that conservative culture with some new things. He brought some new things in that needed to be brought in, and in that sense he was a liberal. But then at the Lancaster Conference Church, that was probably in the 40s, at the Lancaster Conference moved up into the 50s and into the 60s, the whole conference really shifted and drifted. He stayed at the same place, and he became a conservative. And he stood on the word of God as as the it was being forsaken by the conference. So he became, he was a a liberal, became a conservative without moving. And eventually they left. They got a release and they started a new church. Now in this new church, as this new church went on, which was known as the Eastern Mennonite Church, um, that church started pretty well where Lancaster Conference would have been you know some years before and so they just wanted to but then this new church had an influx of other people who wanted to take this, this church in a little more conservative direction and Aaron in this new church he went from a liberal to a conservative he left here and in this setting without moving he became a liberal again <laughs> Because he still stood where he had always stood. But the church was moving conservative. And eventually. He got pushed out. He was too liberal. <clears throat> it's an interesting way to think. So. Is conservative. Is that godly or not? Well it depends. Okay let's look at liberal Christians. What. Is this? Well, the root of liberal is liberty, freedom. The definition of a liberal person is one who is open minded and not strict in the observance of orthodox or traditional or established forms and ways. Now, the alternative definition for liberal is what we talked about this morning an open handed, generous, that's liberal, liberal giving. But we're not going to talk about that anymore. That's what we talked about this morning. But a liberal person is one who is open-minded and not strict in the observation of orthodox or traditional or established forms and ways. Now, if you got the definition of conservatism, you can understand that liberal is the polar opposite of conservatism. Someone who has a liberal mindset is not necessarily... Uh, set in an established way, but someone who is conservative is. And that's actually the reason for the, the liberal-conservative clashes that are not only common, but they're constant. There's a tension between those two values. Liberals do not have closed minds. They have their minds open to other beliefs or other ways of doing things. They are not set in their ways. The more liberal element of the liberals actively desire and seek change. They promote and campaign for it. So, is being liberal a good thing? Is questioning the way we have always done things always a negative trait. Is pursuing new ways and new methods and even new interpretations a bad thing? As times change, should we maybe not change as well? It's interesting that generally, generally speaking, as people get older, they get more conservative, much to the consternation of some of the youth. (laughs) Uh, frustration maybe I should say they get set in their ways their beliefs and their positions generally get more established as you get older so are you a liberal is being a liberal a bad thing well just like conservatism it depends I really, I really took conservatism, which I feel I'm a conservative, I really gave conservatism a run for the money when I talked that Jesus and the apostles are not conservatives. I'm going to do the same now with liberals. If in the Reformation in the 1500s, broadly speaking, during that Reformation in Europe, there were three different segments or wings of the Reformation. I can't put my fingers in three different ways, but three different three different wings. The conservatives were the Catholics. <laughs> Believe it or not. They were the conservatives. Wanted to keep it like it was. The the ones in the middle were the reformers, uh swinglian or Lutheran. Who were the left wing liberals? <laughs> they were the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists are still called the left wing of the Reformation. They were the radicals. They were in left field. They believed and they promoted things that sounded completely absurd to the ears of their contemporaries. You know, you think of infant baptism as a norm for a thousand plus years and that the church and state were united together and Christianity was a geographical thing. The Anabaptists... They insisted on a believer's baptism. They insisted that the church was a different kingdom from the state, and they must be separate. They believed in personal salvation and in volunteer church membership and in evangelism. They were nonconformists and they were separatists. And the thing that they promoted sounded, well, it was radical it was it was just completely revolutionary it was unorthodox it was untraditional it was not accepting the established forms and ways this is the early anabaptists like jesus and like the apostles they shook up the status quo where they where they were at they were not conservatives But like the early Christians, after those beliefs were firmly established, the Anabaptists became conservatives. They wanted to keep what they had there. Whether they did it right or wrong or well or bad or whatever, they became conservatives. And they equated change with error. That's what they did we are, if not the physical, then we are the spiritual descendants of the Anabaptists. Now, I was even wondering whether I should have the third category in here or not, because I'm not completely sure if it is relevant. Um, this is part of a Where I was not quite sure where I should all go. I think I will because I think it's relevant enough. And maybe there is some here that need to hear it. I don't know for sure. Or maybe there's someone that will hear the message online that needs to hear it. So the third category that I had mentioned were progressive Christians. We looked at conservatives, we looked at liberals. Now we're going to look at progressives, and then we're going to come back around to the conservative liberal thing. Now this is almost like, almost like a bunny trail because it doesn't quite fit where we're at, but. Well, who are the the progressive Christians? What do they believe? Progressive. It's a specific segment of liberal Christians. While liberal and conservatives are sort of Well, they're they're systems of believing, but they're sort of relative. Progressive is not. Progressive is a very defined um, belief system that doesn't depend on the environment. I'll tell you out front, I actually don't believe there's such a thing as progressive Christians. That's a misnomer. But that is a name that is used. So, I use that. Well, what they do is they believe that Christians must progress along with what is happening in the world. Progressive Christian used to be called modernist. If you know, if you're familiar with history at all, you will know what that name means, modernist. So, if science proves Proves that evolution happened, then we need to also believe that. If um, if science proves that miracles can happen, then miracles can happen, not even in the Bible. So the virgin birth of Jesus did not happen. The death of Jesus was a martyr's death, not a. Son of God, not the death of the Lamb for the, of God for the sins of the world. There is not a belief in the original sin. All the mainline churches are progressives. I would probably say all the churches in this town are progressive. I would think so. They hold progressive views. Man is basically good according to this view and his problem is not his sinful nature. The problem is society. Society messes up people. So what we need to do is remake society so that this oppressed person can really shine as he was destined to. A person... Is not mentally disturbed if he thinks he's in the wrong body, but the reality, even, even if, even if he, that is a reality to him, and that reality occurs in very, very negative outcomes in his life, it's still not his fault. It's our fault, the society's fault, because we don't affirm him, or we don't accept him. So progressives believe in the possibility of humankind to improve themselves. If we can get this right, we can eliminate poverty. We can eliminate disease. We can eliminate crime. We can eliminate injustice. We can have a utopian world. If we all work together if we get enough people to cooperate, and especially, especially if we can get into power, we can do it. That's a progressive view. I discovered this article, and I, this this actually will give you a little bit of an insight on some. This is actually from a progressive Christian. It said, I believe in Jesus. Do I believe in God? That was the title. And I'm just going to read a few excerpts of it. For progressive Christians, Christ is easy. The Beatitudes, the golden rule, love and grace and acceptance, feed the hungry, heal the sick, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Any of us can see our best selves in the gospel stories and everything we know about love and justice and speaking truth to power follows. So, Jesus is that. But God, God is hard. God can be jealous and vengeful. God commands genocide. He condones rape and slavery and all manner of crimes against humanity. God creates humans with sinful hearts and then punishes them for acting out their sinful nature. And a little more, I'm not going to read out. This is a God. That any righteous Christian could not possibly accept. That is a progressive view where they take Jesus and his love and mercy aspect and that, and they take away the sinful nature and they just, they just implant that as the whole. If you hear if you hear a liberal government official talk about faith or talk about prayer, this is the kind of faith and the kind of prayer they are talking about because it's their basic belief. And then they would have a social gospel, a utopian vision of what the world could be, even as they deny the God of the Bible and the sinfulness of the human heart. Since they don't believe, like, well we'll get to that a little later, Sadducee, they don't believe in eternity or the future life, they put all their energies in improving life now. Now is it a good thing to make this world a better place here and now? Well that's not a bad thing, but is it as important as getting ready for the world to come? Turn to Matthew 16. We're going to read an interesting passage here starting at verse 5, Matthew 16:5, and when the when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, "Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees." And they reasoned among themselves saying, "It is because we had taken no bread." Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand, that I spake it not to you concerning bread? that ye should be beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Then, understand, then understood they how he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So, Jesus said there is a doctrine, there is a teaching, there is a belief system from certain groups that you must be aware of, and you must take heed, and you must not ascribe to it. Now, it's interesting that he includes the Pharisees and the Sadducees here, because in the same warning, because they are the opposite poles, the Pharisees were the conservatives, and the Sadducees were the liberals. And he said, beware of both of them. Avoid them both, the traditionalists and the progressives. Now I'm going to make an application. And you can decide whether it fits real well or not. But take heed and beware of the leaven of the Democrats and the Republicans. Both have platforms that both of us, we can all agree with. Some, some we can agree with. We should be caring for the poor, and we should, in a biblical way, and we do believe in taking personal accountability. But neither platform is at all Christian. I had to personally come to a place. I don't know where you are. Maybe you never were there. But I had to personally come to the place Where I will not look at the political process to save our freedom and our way of life. It can't. And I will explain why it can't. Christians, your vote in November won't fix America's morality. That's another article. Christians need to recognize that the front line line battle battle for our culture's morality is not the voting booth or in Washington. And he makes this observation. Politicians make terrible cultural saviors because fundamentally our problem is not political or even moral. It is a spiritual one. We need our hearts turned back to Christ more than we need Donald Trump's reelected and a conservatively weighed Supreme Court. Executive orders can be overturned and laws can be changed, but the spiritual reality of a heart transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ is eternal. So the political system is temporal, but the heart changed by God is permanent. More than that, The gospel has a multi-generational effect, meaning it multiplies and grows among the children of believers. My friends, this is how you change a culture. You redeem it by conforming the people within it to the likeness of Jesus. While the results are not immediate, they are powerful. My personal belief Is that our whole culture is moving towards this progressivism that I described, and there's an entire generation of what we, what, well Frank Reed called them, digital natives. They, 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 uh, they're young people that grow up and they know nothing else but the digital world, internet, smartphone, apps, YouTube, the whole, the whole, Facebook, the whole thing. They know nothing else. All they know is a life of connection. Google, not Grandpa, is giving them orientation and direction in life. So is YouTube. An entire new value system is emerging rapidly in our culture. And the most that four more years of a Trump presidency can do is hold the dam back, maybe partially, but at some point, as the culture moves on, it will burst. So, politics do impact us. They do have a difference. They, it, we can't deny it. Government has an impact on the people that they are under them. That I had come to the place where it matters not to me whether it is one or the other. I have a preference. Yeah, you you can assure me. (laughs) But it, it, it's not going to, in the long run, probably not make a huge effect or difference. So, what do we need? What is that word that we heard? Intentional. In the meantime, we must be intentional in creating an alternative reality and culture as God's people for ourselves, for our children and for our grandchildren. We must be followers of God as dear children and walk in love and reject every hint of impurity that we have read there in Ephesians and walk Wisely, you see, our beliefs and our way of life and our culture will become extinct if our youth feed on other things than that. If you're dealing, and I'm not very specific, but we, we, we need to, we need to be intentional in creating an alternative culture for ourselves, our children, and our grandchildren. Even as we reject the pop culture of our day, it's not enough to reject the pop culture. We do need to create something that's, that's real, that's That's um, kind of a word, but it's reality and it's healthy in our midst. We need to do that. Chester Weaver explains it this way. He said, culture is religion externalized. He said, we study culture to find out what motivates people to do the things that they say and do. We study culture to find out what motivates people to do the things they say and do. So when you're dealing with culture, you're actually dealing with people's belief systems. Okay, some observations here. We obviously must reject progressive Christianity because it is not Christianity. The Bible calls those in that camp, they have departed from the faith. They deny the faith. They have given heed to seducing spirits. They have a false gospel. We reject progressive Christianity outright. But in the times we are in, is it a time to be liberal, to be movers and shakers like the early Anabaptists? Or is it a time to resist change like the early church? Or is it a time to be both? depending on the circumstances. Some may say, well, why even look in that direction? Let's just follow Jesus and obey the Bible, and that's all we need. If you were here two weeks ago, John D. Martin talked about the, uh, the false dichotomy. He said it, it can, it's, people put up, well, it's either this or it's this. And that's not true. You don't need to set those up. You do need to follow Jesus. You do need to obey the Bible. But you need to be intentional in how you do that as well. That's why we need both. So you do not have to be either a mover and shaker liberal, nor do you have to be a conservative, everything stays the same. You can actually be both as well. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. We need to redeem the time and not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So, okay, so for the most part, we will be conservative. We, we must largely maintain a separate and distinct community and church. We must not forsake our familiar patterns, and ways of doing things unless we have compelling reasons to do so. And this is, this is an all uh, our dress and our grooming, our Bible translation, our courting practices, our schooling, our family structures, our church order, our weddings, conservative. Unless we have a compelling reason to change, we should keep them the same. But are there better ways that we can be followers of Jesus? Are there better ways to be more biblical? Can we eliminate some dead wood that has outlasted its usefulness? Are there pitfalls in the way which we are now doing things that we should avoid? Are there new methods and are there new technologies that will cause us to be more effective in our witness? Those are questions. You see, we don't like tension. I like it when my schedule is not too full, when I get enough sleep, and all my relationships are going well, and I don't struggle with temptation, and I don't have dilemmas in my life. If I could choose my life, I would choose a life like that. Just get rid of the tensions. But if if my legs were in a cast for several months and I would not use them at all, they would shrivel away and when my cast come off, I wouldn't be able to walk because there have been no tension given for all those months. It would become unusable. All that to say that tension between opposing positions is a part of life. necessary part of life a healthy part of life like hebrews says but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil there in a nutshell you have someone who has wrestled through and kept on going and has exercised, and has become full age. That's, that's, that's what happens. So, which are you? If you believe that lots of things are lacking in our beliefs, or our practices, or our experience, you may be a reformist. You may want change. You may want new things of doing things that will improve us and make us more biblical. Or you may be suspicious of any change. Change is just an underhand way of moving us from a godly position to a worldly one. Change is a way to shake us loose. And once we're loose, we just keep on going. So going back to beliefs. If my conservative beliefs keep tobacco or other impurities in the church, I better have my spiritual eyes opened but if my liberal beliefs devaluates the structure and the tradition that is a healthy part of a community, I had better beware of the dangerous path I am on. So, in conclusion here, I had to ask this question. Can we accept the tension between these two? The tension between the open-minded liberal, which, which sees better ways of doing things, and the conservative, which sees that what we have, we need to keep and maintain and strengthen, and we have both of those in a church, that that's a tension. That's a healthy, healthy tension. Can we embrace that tension? And welcome it. It can be on the family level. It can be on the church level. And it can be in the multi-church level as well. Just like there's a ditch on either side of the road. There's a ditch on the liberal side. There's a ditch on the conservative side. There's a narrow path to walk on. With Jesus and with each other. Well, may God bless you. As you... Um, try to decipher what I was bringing this morning, the beliefs and tensions. So may God bless you. I hope you have received something that can be of a benefit to you this morning. May God bless you.